Okay, hello and a warm welcome to the first in what we hope will be a regular series of podcasts recorded here at the Ormo Baths in Belfast. I'm your host Simon Ross and uh, if all goes as planned, each month I'll be having conversations with some of the many successful tech sector entrepreneurs from this part of the world. I'll also be speaking to some of those who are on their way up and uh, maybe about to break through in the near future. The plan is to get some inspiring insights, to hear their stories of success and their stories of failure, and to ask them to share some of the lessons they've learned along the way about building and running companies. We hope it's going to be useful to you, and of course we also hope it's going to be a bit of fun. We're recording here at the Ormo Baths Innovation Space, so it's only right that our first guest is one of the co-founders of Ormo Baths, Mark Dowds. Mark, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. It's been uh, we've been open about eight months and uh, lots of buzz and activity here, so it's fun to see uh, a lot of people uh, being creative. Yeah, it's definitely busy out there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we'll come back to Ormo Bass, but for those who don't know uh, you, Mark, a little bit of background. Mark is the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Trove, which is one of the fastest growing tech companies in the insurance sector. He's also been involved in. Lots of different uh, startups, uh, including, well, amongst others, Band of Coders and Service Cloud, and has also run a successful incubator in Toronto. Um, I could read through your CV, Mark, but we'll, we'll, we might as well talk about some of it. Um, you, you've had 17 years working and living in the US and Canada. You're back home now, uh, but take me back to how you find yourself in the tech sector in the first place. Um, when I was uh, living here in in Northern Ireland, twenty odd years ago, sort of not, not getting so old, I can't, can't remember. <laughs> um, I worked in the family business actually, so I learned. Fa- I learned my dad was an entrepreneur, so I really learned from him um, and what it means to create and start a company and manage it. So I learned from. I worked every day after school. Went to Inst. Uh, I was very proud, Royal Belfast Academic Institution boy. And so I'd walk after school. My dad had a business here in Belfast. So from I was 11 years old, I worked after school every day. And uh, and later later in life, um, uh, after we had sort of I'd moved on from the business, I uh, I moved to Canada with my wife. And when I was out there, I noticed that there were a lot of students in the university space that were going to university and didn't really know why. Mm. Um, and so I ended up setting up a center and I'm sort of more benevolent in business right. uh, to really help these folks understand who they were and what they were about. And uh, so I'd, I'll tell, so I remember Joy, this girl Joy came to me and she said, Mark, I work in a battery factory, but I want to become a graphic designer. You know, another another chap came to me and said, look, I'm, a, I'm an electrician, but I want to become a computer programmer. Uh, another guy said, I'm a biology student, but I want to create or start an ideas factory. And so then I would just pull on the threads of, well, what is an ideas factory? And over time, I would help these folks create, um, you know, basically these young businesses. So I sort of stumbled into creating uh, Canada's first business accelerator. Right. Uh, so that sort of entered me into the tech scene. And also the early stage startups and learning how to create these, how to get them supported, funded and growth. And then how do you do, you know, equity share business partnerships. And so I learned really from the grassroots yeah. over the last 20 years. And what, what was there one sort of moment when you were in the midst of doing that and putting that together and you said it became a became an incubator, but it was one moment where you thought this is really cool, actually helping somebody do this. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm very driven by meaning people and creating value. So it's uh, I, that 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 was the very natural part. Sort of watching people grow and some of these businesses succeed 
uh, give me great joy. Yeah. yeah, so that's mostly why I do what I do. Um, so I, I guess in, in some ways that's a bit of a precursor to what you're you're doing here at Ormo Baths. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about how uh, we'll, we'll come back to the, the middle part of your career, but I just want, this is, seems like a natural jump from uh, you know what what was going on there to what you're doing here now in Belfast. Tell me tell me a little bit about um, how you and the other guys who who've put Ormo Baths together came up with it and, and brought it to fruition. Whenever I was still living in San Francisco, I uh, did a lot of sort of volunteer work with Invest Northern Ireland. And when they heard I was moving back home, they asked, you know, what are you going to do locally? And uh, I said, well, from what I know or what I've noticed lately is that there's a lot of interesting startups, but it's lacking a hub in the city centre. So I'd like to set up a tech hub, something that would bring sort of life and vitality um, into the into the core of Belfast. Uh, but also something that would give a you know create a strong community. So uh, I, when I moved over, I then I met uh, Aaron Taylor, who had sort of he had he sort of, Aaron's a big dreamer, uh, loving the bits, and he he had found this facility, the Ormo Baths, and said that he wanted to set up something there, and wanted to know if he had heard that I was going to do this, and wanted to know you know maybe we could do this together. I then met with John Bradford. I was on the panel at an event run by Catalyst a couple of years ago, and John and I shared the panel together, sort of like the Dragon's Den type of thing. Ah, right. Yeah. And afterwards, we were chatting, and he, we both had had this conversation with Aaron, and and John, uh, you know, st- strong background in, in uh, entrepreneurship, had said, well, he said, well, Mark, I'll do it if you do it, you know. And uh, so, because he wanted to do the same. John's got extensive background in uh, in creating uh, co-working facilities, and also had ran tech stars in, in the UK. So, uh, I felt quite safe in that environment. And, and uh, so, the two of us had decided, well, we'll put the money up initially to uh, to get this going. And then John brought in Steve Pete, who uh, Steve's got, you know, was one of the co-founders. Uh, of another big uh, uh, facility or, or network of, of co-working facilities in the UK, right. and uh, also had done fit-outs for things like the Virgin Lounges. So he knew what he was doing from a pragmatic perspective. Yes. So basically we banded together and put our, put some money in and took a big risk and thought, well, you know, uh, you hopefully that hopefully it flies. That's I, sort of the, the genesis of it. I like that idea of you know I'll do it if you do it, and uh-huh. uh, the the sort of combination of different different sort of people with the same kind of agenda in a way, the same sort of wanting to do something that was was good. Well, John lives in, in Cambridge, but he's uh, obviously from here originally, so big heart. And what we've found is then we've brought in several other folks uh, that are expats. Uh, to, that really are you know financially backing as well. So it's no longer just John and I. There's basically a lot of other folks that wanted to bring value back home, and uh, and I've got involved behind it. And what do you want this place to be for the um, the tenants, the people in the community here? I want it to be a local resource, uh, community run, that in the sense of sort of by the people for the people, uh, where it's a place where you feel safe to bring your ideas. It's a place where you feel. Uh, empowered to take risk, um, and it's a, and it's also a community that you can trust in to uh, get find support and solve, help you you know solve problems together. So it really is a sort of a vital hub. Where then the the venture side of things that are around Northern Ireland and beyond can really in, invest into people that are 
you know, really in the midst of the community and they can ask other people in the community how the others behave around them. You talked about investing there. You've invested in some some pretty cool tech companies over the year, um, Uber amongst them. What what catches your eye about a, a company or a, you know an early stage venture or just an entrepreneur when you you're coming across them? What is it you look for? Uh, at least uh, to know that somebody's just not alone. If it's just a single person with with a wild idea, it doesn't really grab me. I mean, it's okay. I mean, I don't mind sitting and having a coffee and listening to wild ideas. Uh, but what I look for is a small team. Uh, so someone that has been able to draw other bright people around them. And uh, and so it's not just the one person that's smart and bright and attractive, but it's actually something about the team itself where there's a where there's a dynamic and a bit of a spark. So that idea though, they need they need to have the right the right idea with that team, I presume. Yes, it helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you're when you're looking at the the other kind of attributes, if you're if you're looking beyond the people you're you know you're surrounding yourself with, what what are the sort of attributes that you're you look for um, in in those sort of companies where you're looking for a bit of potential and, and high growth potential? Yeah, I'm looking for something that's a a scalable product. So don't get that excited about service businesses. I mean that's okay and they're very very important. But it's not something necessarily someone like me could bring value to. Uh, so I look for for someone that's created a product that will typically go that could scale internationally and uh, and grow to be worth more than a hundred million pounds. The big number on it, then that yeah, it needs to have a big number. Otherwise, there's lots of there's lots of other people can help. Let's see what <laughs> I'd, I'd rather I'd rather see something that someone who's sort of swinging for the fences and going for uh, something that's worth hundreds of millions or a billion dollars or more. And do you see, you know, in, in, since you've been back home and the guys you're coming in contact with, do you see many of those kind of attributes, many of those teams around Belfast? It's emerging, yeah. There's, um, I can't say I can see many. There's there's certainly a bunch that have the potential. I mean, I'll, I'll call out uh, Jason McKeown out of, the, you know, that's uh, been here in the, at the bars and at uh, Neurovalent and creating this product called Modius. Uh, so it's a like a headset for weight loss, for lack of, for, uh, lack of a better term. What they have created is a mass scalable product. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those products that if you go around the world, most folks are unhappy with their weight, and most folks would do anything to have something that could assist them. Yeah. So it, it's got it's a mass market application, and uh, and it, it all makes sense. It's one of those things that looks like a little bit of magic, but when you <laughs> when you Dig a little bit deeper into the company, into the product, you know, and the people that are behind it and the science behind it, it's phenomenal. Let's move on to Trove. In 2012, you got together with a guy called Scott Walchek to form Trove. Tell me a bit about how that happened and a bit about him. So Scott uh, Walchek, uh, who's the founder CEO, I'm his co-founder and chief strategy officer. I'm responsible for revenue for the company. Scott and I met whenever I was doing the incubator in Canada, and Scott actually got behind me financially with that. And so I look back fondly from, from those early days that he believed in a young entrepreneur, someone who was really just cutting their teeth at that time, and uh, got behind me uh, with his knowledge, experience, and finance. Um, Scott has been a friend and supporter right through throughout the years. Uh, we when I sold my last company, uh, he had just sold his, 
and the two of us were free at exactly the same time, which had never happened actually in our history. At that particular time, we were neighbours, and so we lived in the same town. And uh, you know, basically, that was in just in the Silicon Valley area. Um, I'd been there, I think, at that particular time, about three years, maybe three, four years. Um, <clears throat> so he approached me and he said, and I told my wife I was taking six months off. That <laughs> <laughs> was a mistake. Yeah, I think it was the next day. He took me for coffee and said, "Mark, I've got an idea." He said, Mark, what if we created the world's largest database about things that people own? Um, imagine what we could do if we assume success. We had this data. What industries would it disrupt? You know, so insurance, wealth management, retail, etc. So that's where sort of the seed of the idea. So I ended up traveling with Scott for about six months as we sort of went or flew around North America thinking through who, who would care about this mm. if, we were to, if we were to put this company together. Um, and we started it along with Jim Gemmell, who's our CTO, uh, six months uh, after that six month period. Since then, it has evolved to be very clearly smack bang in the center of the insurance world. So, let, yeah, let's just, uh, I mean, Trove, for those who don't know, it's, a, it's an on demand insurance platform that pretty much allows people to insure whatever and whenever for as long or as short as they want. Um, is that, that's pretty much a summary of it, I guess? Yeah. So, there's a new generation that uh, have a different lifestyle. Yeah. Um, they may rent an apartment, but only have a few things they care about. So we enable them to be able to ensure those things one item at a time for whatever duration they feel is necessary or beneficial to them. So we, you're talking the guys who have a, a bike, a laptop, a, 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 couple, other, yeah, yeah. a couple other things that yeah. they care about. Exactly. So that's, a, that's what we have put forward as our consumer facing product in the market. We're live in Australia. We're live in the UK and we are going live at the moment in the US. What we discovered when building this particular product is that it necessitated us to build a virtual insurance company in the cloud to basically power that experience. So we, we don't carry any risk. We have insurance, major insurance players like Munich Re, Axis, Suncorp, etc. behind us. Mm -hmm. And so we borrow off their license and their risk capital, and then we deploy absolutely everything from end to end uh, with the, with those solutions. But we, so we do zero integration into any of the insurance systems. So we had to build basically all the infrastructure of an insurance company with more flexibility in the cloud. And since doing that, we've suddenly realized that there's a bit of gold in that as well. Um, so we're now partnering with other major companies behind the scenes and powering their environments. One of the more recent announcements was Waymo, which is Google's autonomous vehicles. So we're the system basically that facilitates the, the safety of the of the rider. Uh, and we're the middle there between uh, Waymo and those robotic cars and insurance. Totally sideline, but have you been in one of those cars? I have not yet. It's on the list. It's on the list. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be up there. I mean, I'm reluctant sometimes to use the, the, the D word for, for disruption, but what you guys are trover doing, you're disrupting what a traditional model for insurance. How did those big players you mentioned react when you first came into the market? Did they think you were out to eat their lunch or did they see the potential? I think they thought we were a little bit mad, a little <laughs> bit on the sort of lunatic fringe side of things initially. But over time, as we matured, they started to lean in. And there was, there certainly have been folks that we've, I've been in the room with that have been, have felt a little bit threatened mm. by us entering their, their market because I think they 
realize that the world's changing it's changing pretty fast a lot of folks are beginning to participate now with us at a deeper level so because they recognize now that we're not just about our brand but we're about empowering them and helping them transform mm -hmm within, within the, uh, the market at the moment. How much of the success so far has been re recognizing that, that trend uh, that consumers, and particularly younger ones, want everything on demand? I think that's probably that assumes all of our success, really. <laughs> right. um, a lot of people are moving towards more, or getting used to subscription services like Spotify, Netflix, and so on. So the idea of having a subscription of some form into your insurance that seems natural as well. So it's it sort of it matches the like the the lifestyle of the younger through to mid forties, really. And uh, do you have any? Uh, I mean, uh, through that experience of the last five or six years, is there any kind of tips that you have shared with other companies? Obviously, not rivals, but people doing other things about how to engage with that kind of market, that um, I suppose millennial market that a lot of people really are struggling to get hold of. They don't play like my generation would have for instance if you look at the banking sector um you know at, whenever i first got a bank account i had to sort of stand in line to get it i was then given a checkbook you know if you were to do that with a millennial i mean i mean you'd be lucky if they had a pen be lucky and, if they know what a checkbook is <laughs> yeah it's like a cassette player it's so, so there's the, we were we're okay we were okay with standing in queues or lines and that stuff but the, the next generation won't it's got to they have a, uh, they basically want everything to come to them uh, in their in their own way. So it's a, sort of like the positive side of entitlement is that they've really they're bringing the disruption because they're the largest demographic alive today. Uh, they're the ones that are coming into power in the workplace. They're the ones that have got the most expendable income. So industry has to move if they want to stay alive. Personally, um, how did you move make that transition from being? you know, uh, incubator guy, startup, early stage investor guy to, you know, leading what is a pretty big company now, I imagine. Yeah, I've had, uh, since doing the incubator, I've also uh, built and grown uh, a, few, a few decent companies. Uh, I've also had a couple of failures. So I have, there's one, one company I started called Brain Park, uh, which was uh, collaboration software uh, for the enterprise. Right. I did it a little bit too early before there was a market for it. Uh, grew, you know, sort of grew that company and failed. Um, uh, beat beat the chase by companies like Yammer, and then uh, we had a company called Band of Coders, which was very successful. And then we had another company called Service Cloud, did well. This is the first role that have not been CEO, so. Uh, so get to play sort of second fiddle and quite like it. <laughs> it's a, the founder CEO role is, it's a big role, um, especially in, in if, if you're getting the scale of what we are. So Scott has more experience than me and I'm learning every day. How important is it? I mean, there's something you mentioned earlier there, but but about surrounding yourself with the right people and getting the, the right team. Yeah, human capital is always the number one problem. It's finding the, finding the right people and the right executive and that all coming together. There is a little bit of magic and timing uh, because most smart people are busy and doing something. Rarely do you find those folks coming free at the same time. So there, there's magic at those moments of bonding. Uh, but it's no matter what time, it's the same the whole way through the history of a company. So whether you're, you're trying to hire an executive, whether you're trying to hire the next tier, or you're trying to find your, your you know, uh, 
your engineers or designers. I mean, they're they're finding those people that have character that share the same culture and so on. It's, it's not. It's uh, always difficult. What um, when you look at the sort of the next five years, next ten years, whatever's coming, what excites you? Um, I'm excited by doing what I'm doing, number one, because I'm bringing transformation, I believe, the opportunity to do even deeper transformation in the insurance space. It's a pillar of our society that enables people to take more risk. Locally here, I get excited also because when I was living here, there really wasn't a startup scene. Um, there's now a lot of people with ideas, they're, seeing, they're becoming problem solvers. There's a maturity uh, that's happening around it. There's folks locally, you know, the, you've got the Ormo Business Park, you've got Catalyst Inc., you've got lots of folks that are seeding in. You've got the guys at, you know, Techstart and other the venture firms locally that are bringing, you know, a, a growing maturity and understanding. So there's there's folks that have now started companies and failed. There's folks that have grown companies and are becoming available. So the ecosystem is starting to mature a little bit. So in 10 years' time, I could see Belfast being one of the entrepreneurial hubs within Europe. Do you think that is an important part of building the ecosystem, guys who have had a go at a couple of things and, you know, they might not have quite worked out, but, you know, the next one really might? Very much so. It's uh, There's no shame in failing, unless you did it without character. You know, <laughs> right. It's, uh, I like that. If you've, you know, stolen people's money and acted irreverently, it's not... not the thing, but if you've actually done your best uh, to make something happen and failed, you know, there's a good saying that failure is only feedback. You know, it's time to sort of pull up the bootstraps and go at it again. And quite often you learn more through failure than you do through success uh, because it stings and uh, you, you tend to remember that most of us when we see nettles don't reach down to grab them. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's, it's our scars in our, our, in our memory. If I find somebody who has failed and had gone for it. at least I know the risk they may have lost and they're motivated to, to regain. Cool. A couple of quick fire questions to uh, to finish with there. You are in Belfast now, but you're on a plane almost as much as you are here as far as I, I know. Other than your laptop and your phone, what do you never travel without? Um, my earphones. Uh, so I, I love music. Uh, so I, most of the time when I'm sitting on a plane or I'm walking through an airport, or even sometimes walking the streets of London, I've got a set of earphones on, listen to some good music. Best advice you've ever been given? Uh, have no regrets and learn how to mitigate risk. I suppose that leads on to then the, the, the last one. Do you have a sort of ethos or code or mantra that you live by in, in business or in life in general? Yeah, I live by adventure. So I've, uh, early days, one of my sayings and sort of came through is basically things break, memories last forever. Create memories that that you, that uh, that make you smile and make others smile. That is a, a fitting note to finish on. Uh, good advice to anyone out there. I hope you've um, enjoyed this first podcast in our Entrepreneurs at Normal Baths series. If you have any comments or ideas you want to share with us, you can do so. And uh, until next time, thank you very much.